beautiful. And my shirt's on point, Zachy, is it not? Steadbrook. If you guys don't know, Zachy's the proud owner of Steadbrook, a very fashionable clothing store here in town uh, that I frequented yesterday. And he paid me $20 to wear the shirt. So, <clears throat> and I paid him 20 to wear it as well. Um, man, I'm glad to be here. Y'all think Tim's looking at me like, really? <laughs> yes, really. Um, let's pray. Can we do that? Man, Jesus, you're wonderful. Uh, we love you, Lord. Uh, we are so grateful to be in your presence tonight, Lord. What a holy and awesome thing to be born into your family, uh, to gather, Lord, on a Sunday night in Denver, Colorado, to just to worship you, to exalt you, Lord. What a privilege that we have found uh, life and we've found life abundantly. God, we, we don't take it for granted that, that you chose us, Lord, in him before the foundation of the world. God, we don't take it lightly that you've washed us in your very own blood, and that you've adopted us into your family, that we, uh, those of us tonight who have responded to you, Jesus, that, that you gave us the right to, became, to become children of God, not born, Lord, according to the flesh or the will of man, but born of you. God, we thank you for your promises that you said you would never leave us or forsake us, that you would make us like your son. Lord, we thank you that we are actually members of Christ's body tonight and that he is our head. And so, Lord, as, as members of the body, I ask that your divine life, Jesus, would begin to flow even now over every member, that every sickness and disease would just give way right now, Lord, to the divine life of Jesus flowing through your own body. Lord, I pray for depression and anxiety and fear, hopelessness and despair, visionless, passionless, apathy. Lord, let it all just be washed away tonight underneath your flame, underneath your glory and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This stuff is all magnetized, so... Um, well, man, I'm so excited to be here. We were going to do a... How many of you registered for the evangelism conference? There was like four of you. There's two of you. Okay. We, we rescheduled that. So, um, yeah, just keep your ears open for that. Uh, like Autumn said, I'm from Dallas, and uh, I have a wife and four wonderful kids, um, believe it or not. And, um, and it is my, my joy... Um, just to serve you guys, like I'm, I'm alive to serve the body of Christ. Um, and, uh, I really love this house. I love this body. I love the leaders in this house. Um, and I just, man, I, every time I come here, I come with expectancy. Like the Lord's doing something really unique in Denver. Amen. Like he's moving in a really powerful way and, um, to just come and to see it, to see what God's doing here is is profound. I hope you guys know that. I hope you know that um, what's happening here is unique. It's special, um, and it's going to impact the city and it's going to impact the nations. Did you know that? Did you know that what's happening in this room, uh, in in the the people, the small group of people throughout the week that said we want God? Um, that's how that's how nations are changed. That's how cities are changed. I'm a really, really simple guy. I, I like to read the word and, and believe that it's possible. Amen. Like, it's not so complicated. Like, I, I read about John the Baptist, and I read about this one man who stepped onto the scene in this 400-year vacuum of silence. And he was just this wild Nazarite clothed in, in camel's hair and eating locusts and honey and he was just out literally in the wilderness preaching and proclaiming. And he turned an entire nation to God. Because he had God. Amen. And, and my heart tonight is, is, to, is to fan that flame that God's put inside of you. Um, I, uh, you know, I have, I have four kids. And a lot can get lost in translation when you have kids. 
Amen. How many of you have kids? How many of you have been around kids? Okay, so you know that like when you have, I have a six year, almost six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a six-month-old. And uh, it is amazing. It's wonderful. Um, so the other night, I was watching my kids. My wife was out doing something, and I had my two sons. I had Isaac and Samuel. Isaac's four, Samuel's three, or Isaac, yeah, Isaac's four, Samuel's two-and-a-half. And Samuel, they were watching a program, and I heard him just at the end of the show. He said, I want nachos. I want nachos. He just kept saying it. And in my head, I thought, man, I didn't know that he's ever had nachos. So I don't know how he knows that. Maybe his brother taught him. And he just kept saying it. I want nachos. I want nachos. And so I, I went and made him nachos like a good dad. And uh, just chips and cheese, microwave, you know. And I went and presented the nachos to Samuel. And Samuel just looked at me like I was like a moron. I presented him the nachos. And he's like, what in the world are you doing? And Isaac, my son, watched the whole thing happen. He said, Dad, he said he wants another show, which sounds exactly like I want nachos from the two-and-a-half-year-old mouth. And, and that's funny. That's funny, but, but doesn't that happen with us in the Lord? Like, like stuff gets distorted. The word of the Lord gets distorted by, by life and by affections. And we, we think we hear God say something or hear me say something. Or you read the word and, and stuff gets twisted. And my heart tonight is to plug you back in to the pure life source. Amen? Um, so if you want to open your Bibles, we'll just hop into this word. Um, 2 Timothy 1. And sorry, guys, in the back, I did gave you zero notice and zero notes. So tremendous grace and patience on them. First Timothy, or uh, Second Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5. We'll start there. Um, I'm going to talk about two things tonight. I'm going to talk about uh, compromise, and I'm going to talk about offense. And um, I didn't hear many cheers on that. Um, that's okay. Um, I'm excited. Uh, but, but I'm going to talk specifically about those two things and how those two things in particularly um, seek to quench the flame of God uh, that we all have. How many of you like made some sort of resolution this year that you wanted to be closer to God, read your Bible more, or pray more, or go to church more, or walk in more glory, whatever it is? Like, raise your hand. You're like, you, you, something, the years flipped, and you said, man, I want more of God. Let's just say it that way. Like, in some way, in, in whatever that looked like, and that's the thing, is we all want more of God. I, you wouldn't be here on a Sunday night if you didn't want God. How many of you remember when you first got saved and you felt that flame in your heart that was burning and you were afraid of nothing and you knew that God loved you because you hadn't sinned since you'd been forgiven, right? So you weren't, your conscience wasn't like, couldn't be defiled because it's just in that moment you were just, it was wide open heavens and you were loved by God. You remember that? Um, that's our inheritance, Every day of our life, that's our inheritance, to live in that freedom, to live in that joy. And I want to show you that from the Word tonight. And I want to hopefully teach you, if no one's taught you how to fan the flame of God inside of you, and no one's taught you how to steward that flame, I want to maybe just give you a couple of practicals tonight. Is that cool? All right, awesome. So let's just jump into this letter uh, that Paul wrote. Um, verse 5, he says this. He's... He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you. So he's reminding him, which means he's told them this before. So he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Jump down to verse 14, and he says this. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So he, he tells him two things. He says, listen, you have, a, you have a flame from God. You have a flame when you got born again and I laid my hands on you, you received a flame from God, which is the Holy Spirit. And he says, I, I want to remind you that you actually have to tend to that flame. 
You have to fan that flame and you have to guard it. And for me, that flame is the, the most important thing we have as believers. The flame of God is God himself. And, and I have a fear, guys, in my heart that, we, that there's a culture of Christianity that has not taught us to steward or honor or value the flame of God. I'll put it in, in monetary terms. And I'll, and I'll do an exercise. I actually felt compelled to, to do an exercise tonight. I hope it goes okay because it's weird and I've never done it. Um, would anyone here say that you have an immediate financial need? Just raise your hand. Like pretty pressing, desperate. Yeah, you. What? No, no, not Zachy. What, what is it? College loans? How much is it? 15000 Okay. So my brother's got 15000 in debt. So let's say someone in here had, had exactly to their name $15,000. Let's say they had $30,000 just to make it more gospel appropriate. <laughs> who, wants, who, who, who's, who would say, okay, I'll pretend I have $30,000 to my name? Anyone? Okay, you're in, you're in the back. So my sister, here's my brother's need of $15,000. She says, you know what? This is my last $30,000. I don't have any more money to my name, and I have no hope of getting any more money. This is my treasure. This is all that I have. How would you feel if she came to you and presented you a check, and she said, you know what? I hate that you have that debt, and so I'm going to give you the fifteen to cover your debt, and I'm going to give you fifteen more and remember, this is all I have. And what I want you to do with that 15 is I want you to go make a lot of money and bless a lot of people and cancel their debt. How would you feel the next morning you wake up, your debt's gone, and you have $15,000 surplus knowing that your sister is absolutely bankrupt? How would that make you feel? Valued. Right? And, and, and you can all put yourself in that scenario. You can all put yourself in that, in that story, right? The feeling of someone giving you their last penny, entrusting you with something of value that they have, that they earned and worked for and labored for, and they say, look, I'm going to pay your debt, and I'm going to give you something, and I just I want you to go be, be prosperous and blessed with this. All of us, if we had some sense of humanity, would have a sense of of obligation, we'd have a sense of like, of fear and awe and go, wow, I've been entrusted with a lot. Like that's, that's, that's her very last penny. But when it comes to, to Christ, I feel like we treat it a lot more common. And we don't, we don't treat that flame like it's the most precious thing. Like, like we don't treat it as if the father went bankrupt. The Father literally gave us everything He had. He gave us the most precious thing to Him. He didn't have anything else to give of greater worth, of greater value. And it wasn't some transaction. Listen, some, some theology makes it about a transaction that God made with Himself and then He throws you a token on the side of eternal life. It's not what happened. He didn't make some transaction with himself and say, oh, let's throw the people a token of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. He literally gave himself to you. If you're in Christ tonight and you've responded and you've received the Holy Spirit and the altar of your heart's been washed and soaked in his very own blood and he's put himself on the altar of your heart, then you've become one with God. You've actually received God. You've received something of infinite value. You can't place a higher value on it. You actually can't receive any more value and acceptance and blessing and honor than that. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to be honored more than God saying, here's my son, I love you, you can have him all. You can't be honored more than that. In business, in ministry, as, a, as dreams fulfilled, it can't, you can't be any more honored than God saying, you can have my son. 
And in him is life, an abundant life, and you can have him, all of him. You can have all of him. I've given him to you fully. I didn't withhold anything. I gave you all of my heart. I gave you everything. And that's the gospel. And what happens is we start off with this flame of God. We start off with this burning, but then I believe we haven't had many fathers in the church. There's been a lot of teachers and a lot of sermons. Like, you got to understand, like, I don't do this as a profession. This is not my profession. It's not. Like, I, I, don't, I don't care about sermonizing. I don't care about teaching you something. I'm not super eloquent. Like, I just, I want to see the lost come to him, and I want to see the bride grow up into the fullness. That's it. That's all I care about. Like, I care about you looking like him because I believe that's what you want. I really do. Like, I believe you're here because you want to look more like Jesus. And so I want to help serve that. I want to help come underneath you and help you be able to walk out your daily life and enjoy the beauty of the gospel, the simplicity of just a sincere and pure heart that's devoted to King Jesus. It's not complicated. But I feel like, man, with our culture and with with the tide and even cultural Christianity, people who acknowledge Christ but don't reflect his nature, that's cultural Christianity. People who acknowledge that they are Christian by, by default, but they don't actually look like Christ. That's cultural Christianity, and it's everywhere. And there's things tolerated in cultural Christianity that are not Christ-like and that are abomination to the body of Christ. It's not being hard or, like, to me, one of the beautiful things. How many of you, like, love the grace teaching and identity teaching? Like, the security of being in covenant with God. It is like my, my trumpet call. Like, I love it. I think it's so important. It's so important. In Mark 3, Jesus said, it says he called them apostles. He called them to be with them. And then he sent them out. So there's identity, there's intimacy, and there's mission. And it's in that order. He gives you an identity, and from the place of of righteousness and sonship, you can be intimate with him, and from that place of intimacy, you can actually walk out and carry your mission on the earth. Amen? And I love the identity teaching, and one of the things that's the most blessed about being a son of God for me, do you know what it is? It's that my father rebukes me, and I don't think he's mad at me. Oh man, it's like oil on my head. When my dad rebukes me, and he corrects me, and he educates me in the way of his son, oh, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful to let your heart be open to the correction of your father. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that if he doesn't correct you and discipline you, you're not even a son. If he's not correcting you, if he's not, if like, if God's your yes man, it's, it's not God. And you're not his son. And I don't mean that to be harsh, but if God's only ever telling you yes and it's okay and you can do it, you're not, you're not looking more and more like Jesus. Or you're already like him. It's one of the two. <laughs> Amen? And so when I'm, when I'm sharing this tonight about compromise and about, and about offense, like, I want you to hear, like, there's, like, a lot of us, myself included, we were modeled sometimes like when we got disciplined, it was in anger. It was, it was, there was like this anger from our father or from a mother or from a family member. And like we felt distanced relationally when discipline was given to our lives. And I think even in the body of Christ, we've done that. There's been pastors and men and women of God in leadership that have dominated and used the Bible to to spank and chastise and drive away relationally and ostracize and say, man, you don't belong unless you get right. And that's just as equally as, as gross. But man, if that's been your story, if you've experienced church leadership in that way, people trying to control you, do this and don't do that, and man, stop doing this or you don't belong, I'm sorry, that's not the heart of Jesus. But there's something really beautiful about being in the family of God that you actually can know you're loved and cherished just as you are, even with weaknesses, even with stuff you're walking through and struggles. I hope if you feel any shame tonight, I want to tell you it's not the Father. It's from the pit of hell. He will never shame you. Michael talked about this last night, did he not? Or last week. How many of you were here last week? How many of you were not here last week? Okay, shame on you. 
I'm just kidding. It's not shame. You don't receive that. But Michael shared and he talked about the woman caught in adultery in this place of just being just completely exposed in her sin and how the love of Jesus just restored her and set her free. Amen? And so if that's your place tonight, if you're in a place where you're in a sin habit or you're in a struggle, you're in the right place. Jesus loves you and he's going to set you free. Amen? Like he is. He, he loves you all the way. He, he's searched you and he has known you and he's just going to love you and he's going to set you free. But I'm telling you, his love will not leave you the same. He will change you. He will transform you. Amen? Man, I'm, I'm like crazy off, off the beaten path. That's okay. It's the gospel. So, so Paul's telling Timothy, he says, look, you have a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Yeah, come on, Mia. Power? How many of you would like to have power in every area of your life? You'd like to have love and self-control. Come on. That's the spirit we've received in the form of a flame, which is the Holy Spirit, which is God himself. So some of you have been searching for power. You've been searching for like power over sin, over circumstances. You've been searching for love, and you've been searching for self-control. But no one actually told you the only way you get those things is just, just fan the flame of God. And what's happening is the devil and the tide of life is encroaching on the altar of your heart. And that little flame has just become a little wick, and that's why you're looking for those things. And, you're, and, you, and you get into this cycle if you're not careful because the world will tell you to achieve power, to achieve love, and to achieve self-control. You can go through a whole list of exercises, CrossFit for your soul, if you will, and self-help and all this stuff. You can go through all these things to try to get power and love and self-control. And the Bible says, by the Spirit of God, hey, it's actually in you by the Holy Ghost. And it's this little flame. And if you learn how to... Flicker that thing and fan that thing, all of a sudden it becomes a roaring flame and you're tending to the fire of God in your heart. And all of a sudden, now you're winning. You know, our president likes to talk a lot about winning, right? And so, but in, in, with Jesus, he makes us winning in life. Like the gospel, you should be winning in life. In every area, in relationships, in your marriage, in your, in your work, in your school. Like, the gospel will make you winning because it will actually, from within, produce a power and a love and a self-control. And you will literally wake up and you're like, man, I'm about to dominate this day. You will. And you go to bed and you're like, man, I dominated that day. And you just get, it's like, you know, you just get tired of winning. You're like, man, I'm just winning all the time because the gospel's burning inside of me and I've learned to fan into flame the gift of God. And we've been talking about Levites. If you, if you know anything about the upper room, the upper room is just like, and we talked about this with Zachy, like Levites, oh, I'm not even going to preach on Levites, but I want to say this. In Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, there's a scripture that's, that's an instruction to the Levites. The Levites, Old Testament, were in the Old Testament. They were literally a group of people from the tribe of Levi, and they had no inheritance in the promised land. They didn't have any land. Their, that tribe, the people that came after Levi and all of his sons, Aaron was a Levite and all of his sons, their inheritance was to serve in the tabernacle of the Lord in the presence of God. That was their inheritance. God's like, you know what? You're not going to actually have a piece of dirt in the promised land, milk and honey. You're just going to have me. And that's the heart of the upper room. It's just people that say our inheritance is God. Like, it's just God. And what they would do is they were, they were given instructions on how to handle all of these sin offerings. And there would be an altar that had fire on it that would be stoked to receive the offerings of God. And there's a, there's a little just beautiful scripture in Leviticus chapter 6, 13 that's an instruction to these guys. And it says this, it says, The fire shall be kept burning on the altar. It shall not go out. And so in the old covenant, there was actually a physical altar with a physical flame. But on Acts chapter 2, what happened was the blood of God himself was spilled out into the earth. And the altar of man's heart that had been defiled by sin 
was finally had a blood sacrifice offering that could make the heart of man clean again. And so what happened is, in Acts chapter 2, you had about 120 men and women with blood-soaked hearts, but no flame. Come on, somebody. They had, they had crystal clean hearts with no sin attached to them because the blood of Jesus had been shed. And they were perfectly clean, and they were all gathered in one place in the upper room. And all of a sudden, Jesus baptized those son of a guns with fire. And there was a fire, there was a flame of fire that he put himself in the form of fire back into the human heart. How? How can that be? Because the heart had been soaked in the blood of God and he was completely pure and clean just like God. He was as clean and as pure as God himself and so he could actually become a house of God. Is this not the language of the Bible? Do you not know that you are members of the body of Christ? Do you not know that you're one spirit with him? Ephesians 5, that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And that's a profound mystery. But I'm referring to Christ in the church. You're one flesh with God. And that flame is that place of intimate connection because it's his flame on your altar. And God says, listen, that's the most prized thing you have is this flame. And there's two things that will seek to to quench that flame and choke that flame out. And the first thing I'm going to talk about tonight that seeks to, if your flame feels like it's it's being like, you don't feel that flame. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you can feel it. Like, the Bible says, never be lacking in zeal. Like, Acts chapter 2, guys were drunk on the Holy Ghost. Like, I like church, it's cool, but like, man, we need pe- more people drunk on the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, we do. The, the world doesn't care. Like, the world's got, like, all sorts of stuff going on. And the church, like, for the most part, is just kind of this stiff, like, club trying to do right and do good. And it's like, man... Acts chapter 2, people filled with the Holy Ghost, and they were drunk, and it was the first church meeting, and everyone thought the church was drunk. Do you understand that? Do you understand that wasn't, like, made up? Like, I'm not, like, trying to be weird. I grew up Bible church, okay? Like, I didn't grow up Pentecostal. I don't know about any of that. All I know is that God's real, and when he comes and makes his home in your heart, and you give yourself over to him, he's an all-consuming fuego, and he will fill your heart with himself, in zeal for his house will consume you. It will. Like, he doesn't play around. You don't understand. He's not passive. He doesn't know how to be passive. He doesn't know how to be apathetic. He doesn't know how to be withdrawn. He doesn't know how to not, like, he's an emotional God. He has passion. Do you understand that? Like, when he looked at you and me, he loved us with such intense desire, he literally let himself be stripped and beaten and and ripped open inside out because of his love for us. So when you start marinating in that reality that the King Jesus we sing to is the same one, he's the Jesus of Nazareth who let himself be ripped open because he had to wash your heart in his own blood because he wanted to be close to you. He wanted to be so close that he could literally put himself back inside of you. Like, he's not apathetic, he's not like, Anyone you've ever known, he's, he's, he's king of kings, he's lord of lords, and he's jealous for your heart. And those Levites in the old covenant, you've got to understand what a privilege it was for them to tend to the flame. Like, it was an honor. Like, they were tending to the flame of God. And today in the church, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I've got a flame. It'll be fine. I'll let it get down to a little smoldering wick because I know he won't snuff it out. And I don't think anyone's that intentional, but I, I feel like with our actions, that's what we say. We don't, we don't steward that flame. We don't actually treat it like we've been given God himself. And so, so compromise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. Wow, I'm not even there. I'm getting there. Is this okay? Listen, if you guys, if you guys finish before I do, I love you. Be blessed, okay? I'm serious. If you got to go, if you got to get kids, what time? Seven? Seven? 7.30, okay, wow, I'm good, I'm so good, man, just took the pressure off, my friend says, you know, the clock didn't die for you, 
Let's not make him Lord, okay? Yeah, he always says it kind of like edgy. It's true, though. The clock didn't die for you. Your schedule didn't die for you. Jesus did, amen? All right. Okay. So, so compromise. Compromise will produce complacency. And I wrote this in my notes. Compromise lets the tide and passions of this world fill a place on the altar of my heart that is meant only for the flame of God. God's fire burns hottest on the pure blood-soaked heart of the believer. Compromise crowds the altar of our heart because we give our affections to something other than him. It's a battle for our affections. You know, the areas, um, some are very obvious of compromise. You know, food, sexual immorality, uh, drink, too much drink, drugs, uh, jealousy. Like there's certain things like, like even greed, like with your business. Like there's certain things that are so overt that like you know in your heart, you're like, man, if I do that, that would be a compromise. That would compromise who I am as a son or daughter of God. And, and I want to tell you that if you've been battling that, like if you've been struggling in compromise with, with, with a girlfriend or with even in marriage or wherever you're at, like whatever it is, like I want to tell you like God, God still loves you and know that, that that compromise is crowding out the flame of God in your heart. And he paid a high price to, to get to that place in your heart, you know? Like, it's not about, like, oh, you should feel so bad and you should feel so horrible. Like, that's not my heart. Like, my heart is to help point you in the right direction as a loving father and say, hey, you actually have power by the Holy Spirit not to compromise. And, and it's only by the Holy Spirit. You can't muster up self-control. But there's a flame within you that if you, if you learn how to stoke it and tend to it, it will grow up in such a way that those little compromises, those areas where you've been looking for self-control, whether it be food or drink or sexual immorality, the solution isn't to try to resist that. It's to fan the flame. It's to start giving him your affections, Right? It's like, man, okay, instead of like, I, I can give him my affections the best I know how. You may feel numb and cold tonight. Can I tell you, like, I, there's times, like, even in ministry, I have felt apathetic and numb to God. And what I have to do is I have to come to him and say, God, I feel numb to you. And I know it's because I'm, I've allowed other things to crowd out this, this flame. But, Lord, regardless of all that, I've, I've put that behind. And I come to you right now, and I just tell you that, that I'm giving you my heart, even though it's numb, but here's my numb heart. And I, and I love you, and I, I want you to stoke that flame inside of me, and I need you, to, I need you to, to breathe on me again and tenderize my heart. And I just come to him right, right where I'm at, right exactly where I am, and I just say, here I am. This is who, I, all I have to give you is authentic me. I can't be someone that I'm not. And it doesn't matter whether you're in ministry or how people view you. You know, people view me all sorts of weird ways because I hold a microphone and preach. It's weird. People like look at you a funny way. And, and it's like, man, it's, we all, I think Autumn or someone said it like, God loves you. And when you bring you to him, it thrills his heart. That's all he wants. And, and he's actually not wanting you to bring a whole heart. He just wants you to bring your heart in transparency and in honesty to him. And you have no idea what he can do with that. All of a sudden, you bring yourself to him and he, he just breathes, just, you get close enough to him, you know, like I did that and not any of you felt my breath, but if you were close enough to me and I did this, you could feel my breath. And that's what it's like with the Lord. He's like, just get close enough to me so I can just go, because that's how you were born again in the first place. That's how I created man in the first place. It's just, you know that, right? You breathe into Adam. And all of a sudden, Adam goes, and then he breathed out. And then God, amen. 
And that's how we live. That's how we move. That's how we have our being is we just close enough to just receive and give that breath. And then us giving that breath is just worship. God, thank you that you're patient. Thank you that you're kind. And so compromise in these, in these overt areas, if that's you, I want to tell you, you're going to have a chance tonight to let Jesus come and just, just breathe on you and stoke that flame. And that's my intention tonight is that wherever you're at, if you feel like your heart's numb or, but you're like, I want the flame, I want the fire, we're going to just set an altar and we're going to have some of the ministry team and the leaders come and lay hands and believe that the fire of God, like there is a fire burning in my heart right now and I want to let it out. Because there's something about the laying on of hands, according to the Bible, that the flame can be imparted. Okay? So even if you have no flame and you're not born again, and you come up here and you say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I receive your cross. I receive forgiveness of sins. And I want to make you the Lord of my life. You're going to have a chance to come and do that tonight. Amen? And even if you've been born again your whole life, but you don't feel that flame burning, you don't feel passion for God, you don't feel like you have power and love and self-control, that's evidence. The evidence of the flame is you have power, love, and self-control. So if you're wondering, like, I don't know if I have the flame, you would know. Because if you have it, you have power, you have love, and you have self-control. Amen? That's God's intention for you. That's his purpose. That's the benefit of being a son of God or daughter of God. Cool? So there's the big compromises, the stuff that we all know that we could point to on the outside that say, you know what, that's no bueno. I don't think we should be doing that. I know that's a compromise. And then there's the secret compromises that no one can see. It's It's the prompting of his voice. It's the, it's the unction, like, like, let me give you an example. Like, I'm, I love integrity, I love character, and I'm constantly growing in it. But there's times where, like, I, I remember being in a bathroom, and I saw a paper towel on the floor, and the Lord said, pick it up. And I was like, that's not mine. Like, it was kind of like, my, my first thought was, why are you talking to me about a paper towel on the floor? And he just, he was just like, it's the right thing to do. And he was like, you were just going to leave it. And I was like, huh. So I picked it up and put it away. And I thought, man, that's not a right or wrong deal. Really. Right? That's not like you can't make a law. Like, okay, every time you're in the bathroom, now all of you are going to like do it. You're like, (gasps) you know, you're going to see it. We're going to have clean bathrooms. But it's not like a big thing that people would say like, man, if you're not picking up the towels in in the bathroom, like you're not walking with Jesus. But it's a prompting of his voice. Like, it's a little thing. And I could have ignored it, and it's like, and that's compromise. There's little things, like, and he, like, beckons you deeper and says, hey, son, daughter, I want, I'm inviting you here. And there's no, it's not, he's not mad. He, but, like, there's little compromise. And those little compromises, they hinder the flame. If he's inviting you and speaking to you, guess what he's wanting to do? He's wanting to breathe on your flame. He's wanting to make you an all-consuming fire. Amen? And so I just encourage you that, like, that is a practical way you can fan in the flame the gift of God by resisting compromise. And I'll give you a practical example. If you do this, there will be conflict in your life. I, was, I went to uh, breakfast with Justin and Autumn on Saturday, and uh, we went over to Terracotta. And just I didn't know where we were going. They just followed Justin, and Justin said, hey, Uh, just park anywhere. So I went and pulled into this parking lot and I didn't know it was like a valet deal. So the guy, valet guy runs up. He's like, Hey, he's like, you, he's like, this is valet. I said, Oh, I'm sorry, man. And I like give him my keys. He's like, you going to tavern? I was like, yeah, because I didn't know where we were going. I just assumed. And so I walk off and when I come back to give him my ticket, he says, Hey, you didn't validate your, you didn't get your server to validate your, your ticket. And I said, oh, I didn't know. He goes, yeah, I was chasing after you to try to tell you that, but you had already, already left. I said, oh, okay, sorry. I said, well, can you just go get my car? He goes, no, you need to get it validated. He goes, you went to the tavern, right? I said, no, actually, we went to Terracotta. And that was not a good thing to say to this guy. And this guy got fired up, and he said, man, he said, you told me you went to tavern. I said, yeah, I actually didn't know where I was going. I just assumed. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I'm just visiting from Dallas. And he said, well... He says, it's a $20 uh, public fee. It's complimentary valet otherwise, but it's a $20 fee if you don't go to Tavern. And I was like, he's like, so you need to either go buy something from Tavern and have them validate it. And I'm like, I'm like looking around, guys. It's like 11, like noon on a Saturday, and there's like four cars in there. 
And I'm getting frustrated. Like, I'm, I'm frustrated at this guy because I'm like, dude, you're the only one here. There's not a thousand cars here. And like, what the heck, you know? Like, that's how I'm, I'm getting, I'm manifesting now. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll just go buy like a, you know, I don't know, muffin or something from Tavern. I don't know if you can do that at Tavern, but I went in and I realized it's a bar. And so it, I was like, okay, no muffins here. And so <laughs> I went to the guy, I just explained it to him. They said, hey, no problem. Don't worry. They were super gracious. And they, I told them, I was like, I'll buy something like just here. They validate it. And as I'm walking out, because the Lord spoke to me that morning about compromise and, and uh, offense. And as I'm walking out, the Lord says, why are you mad? I'm like, because of that guy, he says he didn't compromise. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and, and I was on the other end of that. I was on the other end of this guy. And in my book, and in my book, I'm like, dude, this, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, this is ridiculous here. The intensity with which you are guarding this parking lot is absurd. That was where I was coming from. And then the Lord just rebuked me. Just whap. He said, honor that guy for not compromising. And I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're right. Like he didn't compromise. And his boss isn't even here. And I don't even know if this guy's Jesus, if he knows Jesus. And I was so like taken off being rebuked by my dad. I didn't even share the gospel with him. But like I was just like, and so I was like, bro, I was like, man, I was like, I want to tell you. I was like, I'm so sorry. I said, I got confused there. I was frustrated, but I honor you for not compromising. I said, that's amazing. Like, you, you did what your bosses asked you to do, and you didn't budge. I was like, that's amazing. And you could see this guy was, like, floored. He was like, yeah. He goes, ma'am. He was kind of like, yeah, I know that was probably kind of hard for you. Like, he didn't say that, but he was kind of like, yeah, I know you were probably frustrated. And I was like, yeah, I was. And, but it was like I honored him. We had this moment, you know. And, and that's the reality. When you walk in no compromise, people around you will judge you. They will be offended by you. They will, they will label you as religious. Whatever it is, because you can make a covenant within a covenant with God, and your life may look different than someone else's. That's Romans 14. Like someone's like, I'm only, I can only eat vegetables. I don't have faith for that meat stuff. And, and Paul's like, hey, 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 wait a minute. Theologically, that person may be wrong, but don't you go eat and meat around them just to prove a point that you're theologically right. You see what I'm saying? So like, and he's like, and don't label them legalistic or they're, they're not compromising according to their faith unto me and you need to honor that. And so, that, so I just wanna tell you guys, if you guys want to walk that life of like, you know what, I don't wanna compromise. I wanna live my life in integrity. I don't wanna blur the lines of what's right and what's wrong. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide in that. I mean that. He will, he will prick your heart and you'll be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, I shouldn't have drank that. Oh, I shouldn't have gone out with her at that hour. Whatever it is, like he will, he will guide your heart. And if you follow that voice, I'm telling you, he will keep you on the narrow path that leads to life. It's amazing. Is that good? So... So compromise will crowd your heart, but offense will seek to suffocate your flame. The Bible says in, in Proverbs, it says that an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Did you catch that? An offended brother or sister is like, is like a wall. It's literally like you start building a wall around your heart, and no one or no thing can get in. What happens? Any of you like Cub Scouts, campers, you know how to build a fire? What happens if you were to put a cup over a flame? Bye-bye flame. Just a lot of smoke, right? So what happens when you get offended is you literally, walls go up that seek to suffocate that flame of God inside of you. And I actually believe this area of offense is probably the most deadly and the most dangerous in the church. I really believe it because we live in a culture where people make money off of being offended. It's like popular to be offended at everything because that's your platform for which you can espouse your values is from the place of offense and self-righteousness. That came out a little harsh. I didn't mean that. I did, but I didn't mean it harsh. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like culture, like Facebook, Instagram, like we, people pride themselves. It happened with, let's use the politics, with Obama. People on the, the Republican side, they, they felt so justified. Christians, 
Christians felt so justified throwing stones and spewing hatred out of their own mouth, Christians. And they felt justified in doing so because it was Obama and he's the Antichrist. And they were, in their eyes, according to their legal system, their morality, they were right. And now the table's flipped and you've got, it, you've got everyone spewing everything on, on Trump and it's like, and there's, ju- there, there, there's justification. And this is the trap with offense. This is the trap. You can be 100% right and still be all the way wrong. Offense is actually most bred in an atmosphere where you are absolutely 100% in the right and the other person or persons or thing are absolutely 100% wrong. That is the breeding ground for offense. And what that does is, you, and I was, I was talking, I forget who I was talking to about it, but when you get in that environment, a spouse, a situation, a scenario where you're right and they're wrong and you know it, it's like the devil presents you this steak. Some of you need to get delivered over there, whoever that was. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The devil presents you this steak and he says, hey, you have every right to eat this thing. Oh, you have every right to eat it because they're wrong. But the moment you eat that juicy steak, all of a sudden your own stomach is poisoned and that wall gets built up and that flame of God gets quenched. And you can be right, but you're, but you're completely wrong. Amen? I had a, I'll share a personal story about this. Um, and then I'll share some scripture and then we'll... we'll finish up here, but um, the other, this was actually just a few weeks ago, um, <clears throat> my wife and I got into a little, you know, whatever, fight or whatever you want to call it, and she said some very, like, hurtful things to me, and I, you know, as most guys in that situation, I was right, like, <laughs> I was completely right. I really was right. <laughs> Help me, Lord. I was right. I thought, I, I believed I was right. <clears throat> in the sense of, I was like, I feel like my heart's in the right place. And I feel like what was, what was, like, what she said was, like, uncalled for and, like, just not commensurate with how I was acting. There's times I've been acting and like, okay, I, I probably deserve that. But this time I actually felt like, man, I didn't deserve that. How many of you have been there? You don't have to raise your hand. But like, you're actually like making an effort. Yeah. You're actually making an effort. You're making an effort. And then like, it's like, it doesn't get recipro- It doesn't get acknowledged or reciprocated. And you're like, it's like, it hurts so deep. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you feel so like, I'm, I'm innocent, like, I'm innocent, and, and I got, I didn't get thanked for it, I got attacked for it, you know, and so I was mad all day, and I felt that boom, that wall, like, and I was like, I don't want to spend time with her, like, and I knew, like, Bible says don't go to bed angry, that's why, because, like, that's that little, you know, you got people building that wall inside of your heart, and he's like, man, don't let that wall build up, you know, you don't want to give that overnight, they have all night to build that wall if you don't deal with that, you know what I'm saying, they have all night. That offense will just start growing up all night. But if you deal with it then, it's only like a couple bricks and you can get, you with me? So I went to sit with the Lord that night. And honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just was mad. I was angry and I felt right. And I sat there for not but a few minutes. And I was like, Lord, like, my feelings are really hurt. That's what I told him. I'm like, my feelings are really hurt. And I'm like, I felt like that was so uncalled for. And I kind of just built my case, you know? How many of you like to just build your case for the Lord? (laughs) He doesn't care. (laughs) You think like he's taking notes and like he's looking at her like a a counselor would do, weighing the thing out and going to pronounce like a judgment in your favor. Somehow we think like that's how he works. (laughs) So, man, listen to the wisdom of the Lord. So I'm sitting there, my feelings hurt, and, and like, I honestly wasn't going to draw near to my wife until she said, like, hey, I'm sorry for what I said. Like, I was just going to wait. 
anyone been there? Like, I'm just going to, I'm the only one. I'm just going to be in my camp until the other person bridges the gap because they were wrong. <clears throat> and, uh, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly. He said, um, he said, son, he said, do you want to be right or do you want to be like me? That's all he said to me. He said, do you want to be right or do you want to be like me? Listen to that. Listen to the wisdom of the Lord. Do you want to be justified? Yeah, you, yeah you're right, son. You can be justified in withholding your affection. You can. You can there's, a human, there's a human sense to like, you're right. You can justify withholding your affection from your wife because, yeah, that was hurtful. And, and, and he, was, he was acknowledging that I was right for the record. If my wife were here, she would kill me. We're not like live stream, are we? Praise God. Just let me have the recording before we post it. So, and <laughs> he made the judgment. I didn't make it. So he said that, and, and, and as soon as he said that, like I knew there was like a grace, and the Holy Spirit inside of me was like, he's like, son, he's like, I know your heart. I know your heart's to be like me. And it's not to just be right and justified and to just be all in that realm, you know? And as soon as he said it, it was like he gave me this window. It was, a, it was, a, it was like a fork in the road. It was like I could have said, I'm going to keep withholding my heart because, like, if I, if I let this go, this feels like I'm, I'm letting part of me go in a sense, if I just let this go and treat it as if it never happened, I felt like I was letting a part of me go. Does that make sense? I'm trying to put language to something that's hard to put language to. And in that moment, he was like, when he said, do you want to be right or do you want to be like me? I was like, Lord, I want to be like you. And he said, then go open your heart wide open to her and love her as if it never happened. Does the Bible not teach us that? Can I read it? Can you put up 1 Corinthians 13? I'm actually going to read it in this. I've got this goofy translation. It's not goofy. It's cool. It's called the Mirror Bible. Anyone read that? Jonathan. Guys, this is so important about offense. Like some of you are still living in bondage and you're, you're, it's, offense is so dangerous because it, it so contradicts the gospel and it, and it's so not what you were made for. Are you with me? And I just, I want you guys to be so careful with this thing because I really believe the two tactics of the enemy for upper room Denver are compromise and offense. This is not, I'm not just like spouting something off, like giving you a little lesson. Like God wants to pour out his spirit and his glory and his power upon this community. And I believe there are two specific assignments from the enemy to try to undermine and destroy what God's doing here. I believe it's compromise, moral compromise, ethical compromise, compromise in your secret life, a compromise in every way and offense, getting offended. Well, they didn't, they didn't see me. They didn't hear me. They didn't acknowledge me. They didn't, whatever it is, like you can be right. Some of you, like you're just offended at everything. And, and the reason why is because it's all about you. Your life's become about you and what you can get from God. And when you come to church, you're coming for you. That's why you're so offended. That's why you're hurt. That's why you've been from church to church to church to church is because you've been looking for the church to serve you. And your heart's not whole. Because you haven't been accepted by Jesus. You haven't let him satisfy that need that you're looking for in men. That you're looking for in church leadership. And I don't say that to be mean, but you're looking, you're looking for people of God to meet a need that only God can meet. Can meet. Amen? And that's why you, you feel like, and, and sometimes you feel like you have a prophetic gifting. Because in, you like see what's wrong in everyone. And you go to every church and you see what's wrong. 
because you pointed out, but it's really just a defense mechanism. And, and Jesus' heart is just to love you and to hold you close and to affirm you. And I pray that if that's you, like you know who you are. I'm not. I'm not trying to expose you. That's why I'm not looking at anyone. That's why I'm not like making eye contact. I just want you to know like you're loved and, and this is a home for you. But, but the leadership here, is their, their primary focus is not you. Their primary focus is him. And this is a group of people that are going after him. We're going after him. And we'll do that together. And we'll, you know, the, the church is growing in its ability to, to, to do fellowship and to have meetings and to connect with you and to know your heart. Like, give them grace. They're growing. This is like a young church. Amen? Give them grace to like, man, if they don't have like an immediate on-ramp for you right away and you don't feel like you fit in, just have grace, like come seek Jesus with us because all we want is we want him and we want to see when he comes, your heart will get whole, amen? That was a, that's a word for someone or someones and I just, anyway, you need to hear that. The problem's not the church. It's your own heart's looking for affirmation and he wants to give it to you tonight. He wants to affirm you that you're enough, okay? He loves you. So, this is so important. First uh, Corinthians 13. This is kind of like the amplified Mary's the passion, Mary's the message version. Okay? So I'll start in verse, verse chapter 13, verse 3. Uh, love is not about defending a point of view. Even if I am prepared to give away everything I have and die a martyr's death, love does not have to prove itself by acts of supreme devotion or self-sacrifice. Love is large in being passionate about life and relentlessly patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others with kindness. Love is completely content and strives for nothing. Love has no desire to make others feel inferior and has no need to sing its own praises. Love is predictable and does not behave out of character. Love is not ambitious. Love is not spiteful and gets no mileage out of another's mistakes. Love sees no joy in injustice. Love's delight is in everything that truth celebrates. Love is a fortress where everyone feels protected rather than exposed. Love's persuasion is persistent. Love believes, love never loses hope, and always remains in constant, always remains constant in contradiction. I don't know what that last part means. Um, and, in, and in your Bible, it may say, love keeps no record of wrongs. And if I could give you that one verse and brand it upon your heart, I could give you a glory in your life that, that would literally, your life would be so beautiful. Because Proverbs, this is another proverb, and this is like a, um, this is actually, I would say, like, a really, like, this is why my life the way it, this is why my life is the way it is because of this proverb. It's Proverbs 19.11. It says, a man's wisdom gives him patience, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Overlooking an offense means that you cannot keep a record of a wrong. You can't keep a record of it. If you want to walk in love, that means that the record that you have recorded in your heart of the wrong done to you, it's wrong. A father abandoning you is wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that to be hard, but like having things happen to you that are wrong, it's wrong. When you get wronged, there's a victim spirit. When offense takes root, it produces bitterness. And when bitterness takes root, it produces a victim mindset. And you can't get out of it. But the, the first step along that path is offense. And some of you are stuck in bitterness and offense. And listen, it was wrong. And only by the Holy Spirit, but I'm telling you, and I'm speaking to who you are in Christ, you have the capacity to wipe the slate clean by the Holy Spirit. And to say, you know what? I actually have power from God to treat this person as if it never happened. To keep no record of wrong is the call for the church in this hour. I commission and I, I prophesy over this house that you will be a house that keeps zero 
record of wrongs done. Zero. And if, and if you've been in that place where you've like, you've just, you're the record keeper, like I'm telling you by the Holy Spirit, you can, you can find that place and you will be free. It says it is to your glory to overlook an offense. That means there's glory. If you've been offended, if wrong's been done to you, God's actually saying, hey, guess what? On the other side of that, there's glory. I'm inviting you to glory. Why does he trust you with glory on the other side of offense? Because you become like him. And I don't have time to unpack the injustice of the cross and how many chances Jesus had to be offended, how many chances Jesus had to to be justified and right. Like, how can love, the Bible says love does not demand its own way. That's easy when you're wrong all the time. But when you're right all the time, like how many of you believe Jesus is right 100% of the time? You know what's profound about him? He doesn't demand his own way. He won't demand his own way. He won't demand it from you. You hear that voice that's demanding all the time? Do this, do this. That's not him. You know what he did? He laid his life down and actually gave you power to do it his way. Like the thing you can't do that you want to do, like... And the enemy's demanding that you do it. He doesn't demand his own way. Love comes up underneath and says, hey, hey, I'll do it with you. I know you can't do it. I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. You do it with my strength. Do it with my power, my patience, my kindness, my gentleness, my goodness, my self-control. Hey, my fruit is fruit. You don't have to strive for it. It's just fruit. It just comes out of your life as you abide in me and fan the flame. Amen? Are you guys okay? Can the band come up or someone? <laughs> um, I, I try to be as practical as I can because I know sometimes we get, we get out there. But I, I hopefully I've given you just a couple of like things that will trigger you to know like, okay, wow, here's an offense. Here's a. Here's a compromise and that you have some ability to like, you know what? I'm not going to compromise with my time with Jesus. Like if there's one area that I would just plead with you, like as a, as a friend, as a brother, as a father, like if I could plead with you, like don't compromise your time with him. Don't worry about being called religious. And I know like sometimes you may miss, but like, but don't compromise like just time with him in his word in his presence, in prayer. Don't, just don't do it. Like, it, it's, that's like compromising on breathing. How many of you would compromise on breathing or eating? You just didn't, you wouldn't do it. And like, I just wanna like, as a, as a friend, like say like, man, just set in your heart to like, let the Lord put a consistency in you, a desire and a hunger to be with him every day. And so I want to do something. I had a vision uh, as I was praying yesterday for, for this meeting. And um, and I don't want to like try to whip anything up and like I, I really don't care about that. I, I want the Lord to move. You know, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Amen. Can y'all stand to your feet? There's an anointing of God that will set a fire in your heart and break every yoke of sin and disappointment and shame, whatever it is, however you feel right now and you know like, I, this isn't right, there's an anointing that will break it and bring you and usher you into the presence of God. And I'm not gonna like yell or shout or scream because um, I believe the anointing is powerful, amen? Um, but I had a vision and this was just for me personally and I wanna offer it to the room, but... Um, you know, in John chapter 2, Jesus sees what's happening in the temple. The oxen and the money changers, they're making a profit in the temple of the Lord. And he goes and he, he takes time and he fashions a whip. And he comes storming into that temple. And he flips over the money tables. And he drives out the oxen and the sheep. Guys, guys, 
Don't make my father's house like this. This isn't what the temple's for. And we often kind of like make it about the people that he drove out or Jesus. And I think we fail sometimes to miss the temple. The temple in that moment became completely clean and pure because of his zeal, because of his aggression, because of his like passion to take everything out of the temple that didn't belong there. And as I was in prayer and I saw this vision, I just began to pray and I said, God, I said, Jesus, make your whip and come into my temple and drive every compromise out of my heart. Drive every bit of wickedness and selfish ambition and hidden sin. Drive it out of my heart, God. I want you to come with your whip and come clean my heart. And that was my prayer. That was my prayer. Because I don't want anything in my heart and in my life that's not supposed to be there. And so I just, I just invite you. If, if you want him to come tonight, like the Bible says, the, it says the disciples, when they saw the passion with which Jesus came into that temple and cleared it out, they said, wow, we were reminded of what was written, zeal for his house will consume me. And I'm telling you tonight, he's zealous for you. Not in any anger towards you, not in any disappointment or frustration. He's got no ounce of it towards you tonight. His anger is towards your enemies. His anger is towards what's made its way into your heart that doesn't belong there. And any sort of aggression that he has is for your good. And it's to liberate and to free you and to untangle you and to just get you completely into his presence in the flame of God. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but I want to just, I want to set this altar And this altar is a place for someone who says, A, I've either been washed in the blood of Jesus, or B, I want to be washed in the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to lay my life at this altar, and I'm going to believe that the fire of God's going to come and consume my life. And I'm willing for Him to point out the hidden sins. I'm willing for Him to point out the hidden compromises, and to come with His whip, and to come in and just wreck shop in your temple, so that you can be like Him. And so I don't, we don't need to pull teeth. Just as, as Michael begins to play, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to have the ministry team come and just lay hands. But this is about being consecrated. So just pray with me and come as you feel led.